Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Okay, here's how Miro works. See? It's amazing! What's everyone doing at David's desk? Ever since marketing started using Miro's collaborative online whiteboard, he thinks all our other teams should sign up. Why? He says Miro's making his meetings disappear. And if every team gets on it, that means even less meetings. They're using Miro for brainstorms, mind maps, customer research. So could we use Miro instead of having another hundred meetings for every round of feedback? Yep. You can comment, react to ideas, even leave a recording on the board. And what about presentations? There are Miro templates for that. How do you know so much about Miro? I've actually been using it all along. I just used a Miro board to plan the best vacation. Okay, I'm on board. See how Miro users save up to 80 hours every year by meeting less and doing more. Get on board at Miro.com with three boards free forever. That's M I R O.com. Everybody and welcome to this brand new spoiler review episode for Andor from the Geek Buddies and Laura Kelly. Oh. Hey! After it's two... not a Star Wars party without Laura Kelly. Absolutely. After two long weeks in our own Narkina Five, Laura Kelly has returned to hang out with us uh, here as we break down episode eight of Andor, consequently called. Narkina 5, jumping in everything that went on here in the world of Andor, as this series, in my opinion, just keeps getting better and better every single episode, juicier and juicier with some incredible uh, cinematography, direction, score, uh, music cues rather, and acting and writing, in my opinion. So let's give you a little preview of where I'm going to be coming from in this episode, but we're going to get into all of that uh, here, and let's introduce ourselves first. I'm the outlaw, John Maruka, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies. Hi, I'm Michael Hogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm a television actor and an animation writer where you can see some of our latest work on Netflix right now with Strawberry Shortcake, Barry in the Big City, Season 2. Do you have a, do you have a penal colony in Barry in the Big City anywhere or no? We don't have a penal colony, but Shannon did uh, <laughs> establish the shady part of Big Apple City Whoa! called Fruit Leg Alley. Oh! So, uh... You know, I think that I think Pord would be coming down pretty hard on uh, Caramel Tartufo and his criminal fruit empire. I, I gave Vogel so many headaches this season. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And joining us, as we just uh, uh, screamed about here, uh, back uh, from her sojourn, she's here to hang out with us again to break down this and or episode. She's the co-host of Force Toast Pod, the co-host of The Jedi Way. And we're all proud to say one of our friends. Laura Kelly, thank you so much for coming back. Good to see you. Thank you so much for having me back, you guys. Yes, I had two very long weeks at the Chicago Film Festival. I saw a lot of great movies, but 12 movies in like 10 days is kind of a lot. So I'm happy to be back. It's a lot of a lot for sure. Number one film you saw real quick. What would you say? Ooh, I really liked She Said. It's the, the Harvey Weinstein story. Yeah, yeah. real, really Ooh. interesting. So last week myself, I agree with Laura. I think that should be nominated for Best Picture. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's get into this thing. Uh, a lot happened in this episode. Mike, I go to you first. Overall thoughts on episode eight. We see Andor in a penal colony. We have Cyril Karn getting closer to trying to work for the Empire. Deidre Miro's influence on Ferrix is spreading. Avel and Cinta are spying on Cassian. And we also have Mon Mothma uh, feeling the uh, ramifications of the consequences of Luthen's exploits. And then Luthen himself confronting Saw Gerrera. So, so much happened in one episode, the longest episode of the season, by the way. What are your thoughts on it overall? Uh, they, I mean, I'm with you that it continues to be just like top tier Star Wars. Mm. I think also we have reached the pinnacle of boy, does the Empire suck. Like <laughs> the prequels are the Empire's coming. The original trilogy is like, 
all right, we formed this rebellion. We got to take down this big empire. And then the new trilogy is like, hey, we're the first order. We're like the empire, but not as bad. And this is like peak. Like this is why there had to be a rebellion. And I've always loved. I love rebels. I love Bad Batch. Uh, like even even Solo. Like I love this area of the timeline where we get to really see the empire at their peak. And I think this episode really showed off just how bad it really is in this galaxy far, far away right now. That's a great point you bring up, Michael. Yeah, because when we get to New Hope, we're on the last legs of the Empire. When we're here, this is like the Empire in its prime. So absolutely, great points. Laura, your thoughts overall on this episode eight here as you've gone along? As people know, you weren't a big fan of the first three episodes. Where are you now as you sit on episode eight? You know, I'm in a much better place than I was with episode three, but I've sort of stayed on the same plane through four okay. four through eight. I'm kind of in the same spot. Um, so overall, I'm enjoying it. I, it's not my favorite Star Wars that I've ever seen, but I've I've mostly, I've for the most part, have enjoyed it so far. Um, okay. Vogel said it, I think, very well. There's a lot of... Um, there, there, the Empire is a lot in this episode in particular. There is a lot of Nazi imagery uh, being evoked throughout the entire episode. It was really uh, interesting. But I think that the, the fact that we've got all these storylines that have so far mostly been kept sort of separate are now kind of coming together. We've got Deidre and, so- and Cyril in a room and Deidre and Bix in a room. And we've got Vel and Sittal and Ferrix, like all of these different things are starting to finally bleed together. And that has been, that was really rewarding, I think, as a viewer who has sort of endured, and I mean, enjoyed the last, you know, seven. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good shot there, Laura. Good shot. All right. <laughs> Shannon McClung, your overall thoughts on episode Ed here, Narkina 5. Yeah, just continues for me to get better and better. I mean, the production design, um, along with uh, in terms of sort of the real world stakes of making it a little more like, making it a little more on the ground, a little more real. Um, I think the same thing with the production design. Like it just it looks like a world that you could live in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that is so strong about the series. And also, you know, I know they, they did this for the sequel trilogy and, and for uh, The Mandalorian, but putting the putting the, 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 the troopers back in the armor. Mm. It, it just it, having that tactile feel of something like it just it, it makes the world seem so much more real. It makes the stakes seem so much more real. And one of the things that they're doing really, really great, like the shore troopers, like they were frightening. And then you see the way the empire operates and it's like it's it's frightening, um, uh, especially when you look at some of the things that we deal with now day to day. It's like, oh, this is very reminiscent of uh, of things that have happened and possibly could happen again, yeah. and I think that's a that's a testament to uh, the writing. Great to have Toby Haynes back in the director's uh, back in the director's chair and a new writer Bo uh, Willimon, yeah. who I thought uh, again under the stewardship of Tony Gilroy is just uh, really really great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've already said my piece on it, so let's just jump into it. Let's start with the Nan- uh, the Andor, not the Nandor, the Andor storyline. <laughs> this fucking guy, <laughs> this fucking empire. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> All right, so anyway, yeah, the Andor storyline, very interesting. Right off the bat, we see him uh, being sent to this penal colony. Look, it's not lost on me, and maybe I'm stretching a little bit, but it's all people of color being lined up by uh, overall uh, guards here being sent to different locations. When they arrive at these locations, again, he's in a line full of people of color, and the people who walk up to talk to him are all white guards. So there's a, there's messages being sent here subtly and maybe not so subtly, depending on how you pick on it. But he's sent to Narkina 5. He's trying to keep claiming that he's innocent, keep claiming that he's innocent. None of it is working. We see him there being lined up. We see him there being told what he needs to do. Uh, I felt like maybe he was going to escape or something because it was weird how they were doing the change of the guards to try to put him in motion. He gets put into this, um, essentially this worker's room there for the prison, and he is met by this dude right there, Andy Serkis. How incredible was it to see Andy Serkis back, not as Snoke, but as a new character here involved in Star Wars. He essentially tells him what he needs to do, what's required of him. Andor is overwhelmed by all of this, kind of surveying it and looking at it. We hear about the fact that he's going to be assigned to Table 5. Table 5 is a little bit behind. And we hear um, Andy Serkis' character. I'm sorry, the name's not coming to me real quick. I have to check my notes. But Kino, Kino Loy. Kino Loy, talking about how this is essentially a competition. And that, like, he wants him to step up to the plate and do what needs to be done here. So, very interesting. Then later we see him uh, being shown his quarters. 
where he's going to eat, how he needs to use the restroom, all this kind of stuff. We hear about the red lights. Then he gets asked by some of the cellmates there about the new regulations. He says he doesn't know anything about it. He feigns like he has no idea why this happened. But then we see that silhouette of him in dark, and clearly he does know what happened. We cut to him later on after 30 shifts, and it he is starting to feel himself and figuring things out a little bit more, what he's doing there. We see them building these uh, large steel five-pointed things. I don't know what they're going to be used for, but certainly maybe equipment to uh, subjugate people. Him, in essence, indirectly helping the Empire to subjugate people by building some kind of equipment here that helps them. And then later, we check back in on Andor, and he is much more in the swing of things much more aware of what's going on. We see the older gentleman who's part of their crew kind of slowing down a little bit. He gets called out uh, by Kino for not being a little more aggressive in how he's doing things. So we see, in essence, he has bought into this world now that he is living in. He has kind of changed his approach, and he is now fully committed to being a part of this, uh, uh, essentially a prison crew, to work on all this stuff and be involved in the competition and try to keep the numbers high uh, so and everybody's dressed in the same outfit. So, Michael, to me, this felt like the dehumanization, for lack of a better term, of Andor and showing you the perils of prison and what they try to do to you in prison and how they try to turn you into faceless, nameless person and how they try to essentially, as I said, dehumanize your connection to other people. Because when that one guy kills himself, that was a member of his crew. All anyone talks about or screams is, oh, we're going to be behind. Oh, we're going to. No one says, oh, my God, someone has died. So what did you think of all these scenes here as we saw Andor's journey through the prison um, in this episode? Uh, I mean, I thought it was great. I, I don't think you were reaching. I do think it was probably pretty intentional at that that initial uh, moment when they're lining everybody up to get on the transport ships yep. and they're all people of color. I think that's pretty intentional. Obviously, once he gets to the prison in Arkina 5, yeah, it's much uh, there's, more a, lot, there's sure. a lot of white prisoners, sure. a lot more integrated. But I mean, I think for that initial moment, I think that that's absolutely what they were going for. Yeah. Um, right off the bat, I thought, you know, I, I always love when a prison situation happens in a sci-fi thing and they manage to do something I haven't seen before. And all of them taking their shoes off and all of the Imperial officers having those boots and their punishment literally being, it's like, it was the worst possible version of the floor is lava. Like it was like, that's what it was. Um, and I thought I, like, it's, it's kind of brilliant in its horribleness. Um, and, a, and a super simple thing like they don't have to put bars on the cells they don't they don't have to have guns like it is such a simple it, it's it's the it's peak empire mm. it is cruel and, but it is very efficient in its brilliance I mean that's that is just peak of what the empire is and to your point completely dehumanizing like yeah. they, these guys are just cattle uh, you know the other thing that I really appreciated kind of to your point is, I kind of thought in that moment when they were shifting the guards and stuff was going on, I think they gave us several moments throughout this whole thing where if this was a different type of Star War or a different type of action movie, this is when our hero would make his move. Yeah. He would steal the thing that he was right. going to use later. And Andor looked shell-shocked. Mm -hmm. Andor looked like what would happen if most of us ended up in this situation. Like, you wouldn't be planning your escape. You would be overwhelmed, scared shitless, and not even understanding what was happening. Um, and that's kind of what it was. And then even the way when uh, when Andy Serkis comes up as Kino Loy and lays it out, you see what the Empire also does really well, which is pit everybody against each other. Mm -hmm. Like if if everyone at each of the tables is competing against everybody at the other tables and everybody who's running the rooms is against the other rooms and every room is against the different floors, then nobody's going to be able to band together because they're always, always going to be at each other's throats. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also love how you even saw like with the sign language and the, and, uh, yeah. and all talking to each other that you saw that even in this super awful place, like people are still figuring out how to communicate, figuring out how to spread information. Yeah. Um, and then also the one thing you didn't mention and pretty big, mm. obviously we had some pretty big rogue one, um, introductions in this episode, yeah. but one that kind of went, might go unnoticed by a lot of people is the introduction of Melshi. Uh, in the prison. He's one of the guys that's at table five yeah. with Cassian Andor, and he's also one of the guys that is with Cassian Andor on Scarif at the end of that movie. So oh, yeah. uh, he's there. It's the same guy. It's the same actor, same name. He's right. called out specifically in both. And so this is the first time that Cassian Andor meets Melshi, who is a character that we know from Rogue One, is going to somehow 
end up with him and ride with him all the way to the end. So, yeah. uh, you know, definitely more to come there. But yeah, the thing that overwhelmingly took me with this is you're right. It's dehumanizing. It's horrible. But I just love, and again, some people might love this. Some people might not. Obviously, we know Cassian's got to get out at some point. Obviously, we know he's going to, something's going to happen. But I love that they took this whole episode to just show us how futile it is under the Empire. Yeah. Like, you're looking at him in that cell, sucking on that tube of shitty-ass food, <laughs> and, like, not being able to walk out of the cell without getting electrocuted. Like, there's... They, you're at your lowest. There's yeah. no plans of escape here. Like this is as low as it gets. And yeah. I'm glad that they went there. Some interesting commentary on the penal system for sure within this episode, which I thought was really gutsy. There's a lot of gutsy things that they're doing that I don't know how they got away with doing all of this. And Disney's like, yeah, sure. Why not put it on TV? I'm just so surprised at some of the commentary. Yeah. Next what? time next time you all start on your whole Disney Plus is going to uh, sugarcoat everything. Just remember that Andor is on there right now. That's a fair point. That's, that's a fair well, point. And one more thing. Now, Laura, Kale, talk to me about, um, Cam uh, am I wrong to get Camino vibes here? The cleanness, the whiteness of everything. Am I wrong to get those vibes as I'm watching this prison, even though it's, it's ruthless in its efficiency and dehumanizing, it's also incredibly clean. I mean, the fact that their cells get cleaned every day, you don't see that in real in prison in the real world. So kind of interesting to see all that. What'd you think of all this whole storyline with Andor through the prison and the people he encounters uh, and how he ends up just becoming a part of the crew by the end. Yeah, I, I caught that line, too, of them cleaning the cell daily is, I mean, like, I'm not even cleaning my own room daily by any stretch of the imagination. So, I mean, at least they've got that going for him. Uh, one thing I did observe oh in this in this episode in particular is there's very little dialogue on Diego Luna's part in, in this episode Ooh. in particular. We've get, we get a lot of FaceTime with him, and but we're watching him, you know, take it in and observe the routine, not only of the prisoners around him, but also of the guards mm -hmm. and how they interact and how they're reacting to their surroundings and observing their routine. So we're seeing a lot of like face acting with Diego Luna in particular in this episode. And it's one of those things I didn't, e I didn't even actually notice it until my second watch, mm -hmm. how sort of quiet a lot of it was for him. But yeah, we've got, you know, the empire sort of pitting these inmates to get inmates against each other and you know we kind of get the other side of it with the rebels as we are moving you know when we move mm, into these other storylines of them sort of already being pitted against each other so we've got these sort of parallel storylines going on um you mentioned the the sort of white setting all mm. white stark white setting of the of the prison um i couldn't help but notice the like sort of white and orange of the prison uniforms oh, yeah. like immediately yeah. i was just like is this an homage to BB-8? Like, I, I'm not... I, that's the first thing that I thought of. BB-8 um, is their overlord. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although some of them, I guess, were, like, in all white. I saw one comparison talking about how that was sort of... That may have been sort of an homage to THX 1138. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was one comparison I saw. But I think Camino definitely comes to mind, too. Yeah. Um, very excited to see Duncan Powell back as Melshi. That's very exciting that he got to come back and play the same role. There's also a dude on the team named Ham which is maybe one of my favorite Star Wars names I think I've ever heard. Just ham. They, that's what they went with. And I'm, I'm here for that. Uh, uh, one other thing that just stuck out to me about this, about the prison in particular is just, Kino at one point asks Cassian, you know, or says, I hope you don't walk in your sleep. But I'm just like, oh boy, if yeah. sleepwalking is anybody in anybody's uh, routine in this, if they happen to end up here, that is, that would be bad news because yeah. yeah that that scene at the end is really disturbing and i didn't even really it didn't make i didn't make the connection john that like nobody really reacts to like oh sad yeah, right that was like our teammate that guy died and it, it's still just you know people bitching about how it's going to affect their team and their numbers and their efficiency this is what they want if you become yeah. just an um, it's like metropolis if you're just walking in you're just a number you're just cattle they want to remove your humanity so that, or you're not just to be species specific humanity so that you just do what they tell you to do and your only focus is accomplishing this goal you can't think about being imprisoned because you're stuck, you won't be thinking about rebellion because you're focusing on this. It's a way of dehuman. And I saw someone compare Kino Loy to like Alec Guinness in Bridge on the River Kwai, except he actually cares for his soldiers. Kino doesn't seem like he cares about anybody in this. 
and look, we've and I don't I, I'm walking to a little bit of a minefield here. We've heard about dictatorships taking taking over countries, taking care of people, and then they make one of those people their own in charge of yeah. their own people and make them do certain things as a way of keeping them even further subjugated. So do your own research on that. But you've seen that happen when countries have taken other countries or uh, some of the genocides that you've seen, some of the things that they've done in those places. So I think a little bit of that is being alluded, alluded to with how Kino Loy is running things, especially when he says, I only have 249 days left. You're not going to mess this up for me. So Shannon, your thoughts on all of this as we see um, and or observing everything, as Laura very eloquently pointed out, he is a he's an observer. And so he, he's taking these notes for himself mentally down the road for when he needs them. But what what did you think about his whole process as we went through this in the first step in this episode? I mean, Vogel, uh, Vogel and Laura pointed out a lot of a, a lot of the stuff that I that I had noticed as well. Um, you know, uh, looking at the way again, bringing up the shore troopers um the as the as they're kind of filing the prisoners out and how he the short trooper makes eye contact with one of them and he does like that that lunge and it's like don't look at me and it's it's very reminiscent to things we've seen footage from like protests with you know with uh law enforcement with swat with the military you know in, in other situations um so it's very it's very um effect it, it's very affecting right off the bat um getting into just the production design like wherever they shot this i mean that you know that cement structure i mean i that's sure seems like a real building to me and then the way that they're able to you know uh, insert the ships and it just looks it looks like something it, it's it's uh real just to the left mm. It's something we haven't seen, but it's so tactile that we can imagine seeing it. Yeah. And as they get into the ship, like the magnetic manacles, I thought was a really, really cool touch. And as they're getting off and like the whole, you know, kicking of the shoes off, yeah. you know, we don't think about um, right off the bat how vulnerable that makes us. Like this, this is not running around in a field. This is being in like, think of like a construction site. Think of like it's cold metal with our bare skin. Like it's very, very vulnerable. And then as they, um, you know, kind of get off and the one inmate says, you know, take, you know, take one good last breath yeah. of fresh air. This might be the last one we ever, you know, we ever breathe. Um, it's really frightening that in the moment that the Imperials come up wearing those, you know, very kind of, you know, ornate boots, um, I put in the notes, look at those air skywalkers. I was like, oh, those are funny. <laughs> uh, but then after they sort of activate, you know, the electrified oh. floor to, to fry them, it's like, oh, that's why they have those. And like, at, from an action standpoint, I mean, obviously there wasn't a ton of action in this episode, but you start to look at the things that are on the table. It's like, okay, they've got those, they've got the, they've got the floor, they've got, you know, the, uh, the, the zap sticks. Really, really cool. I mean, uh, I, I had the THX 1138 vibes, right? Mm. I, to me, it was like THX 1138 meets Squid Game meets Shawshank Redemption yeah. because you have the other inmates talking about like, hey, have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? Because, you know, right. they're not going to get news in there. Um, and then you just see sort of the the simplicity of the of the prison, how it's like, you know, we don't need to put bars up. You know, it, you this is this is where you get to live. Um, hope you don't walk in your sleep. And it's so as you said, John, it's just so it's so dehumanizing and then uh fantastic seeing andy circus like he has such an unmistakable voice yeah as soon as um, i heard it i was like no and then he showed up <laughs> <laughs> I, I i had read on twitter that someone from star wars's past was going to show up oh, wow. and the the moment that you you know you heard him i was just like oh that's fantastic yeah. but yeah just the way that they keep people competing against each other um that's how the empire managed to stay managed to stay in, in in power for so long is like as long as we keep you fighting each other you're not going to look over here yeah. um yeah the whole thing with the one guy i mean again like thinking of shawshank redemption i'm thinking of the guy that clancy brown kills on the first night oh, yeah. and it was the fact that it was going to slow the one team down and the rest of the people like great we're going to smell this guy all night <clears throat> um just really really well done and the the hand signals and you see just how vast this this facility is i mean it's just it's it's overwhelming it's one of those situations i think vogel had talked about earlier it's like the empire is so huge this seems like an insurmountable task mm -hmm. to try to defeat them yeah yeah uh, all right let's take a quick break we'll jump into the Dijo miro storyline right after this 
storyline woohoo this was really fun to well fun and just a, from an outside point of view watching this thing seeing as she is grilling cyril Carr, she as you notice that cyril has been constantly submitting these false reports on cassian and or she grills cyril it finds out cyril hasn't read the report so she leaves him with the report goes off and uh pitches that she needs this new equipment and these this local manpower to this guy who seems to be above partagas and uh just when she kind of uh, maybe steps just a half a step too far in shooting back at the guy about wanting uh, the money or the, about the, how much this is going to cost. Uh, Party guys comes in and kind of saves her and pushes this forward and says, oh, this is necessary. We need to get this done. So she's going down. Uh, she goes back to talk to Cyril. They have a conversation. He, te- he a- She asks, what's in this report? What's not in this report that you can tell me? And he describes a little bit more of Luthen. We hear that he, she's calling him the Axis, I think is what she's calling him. Mm-hmm. So she wants to find out who he is. So she's, she senses something is amiss here in Ferrix. She wants to, she says, drill down into Ferrix, find Cassian, and find Luthen. So Luthen's concerns, last episode, certainly valid in trying to get rid of Cassian because he knows it's going to trace it back to him. Uh, she eventually, end, she eventually, I think, ends up on Ferrix. I hope I didn't miss anything. Ends up on Ferrix. Um, and we see her carrying out these torture uh, situations with um, with the guy who runs the hotel there after Bix has been in there. We'll get to Bix's stuff in a little bit. Um, and then we see her calling in uh, Bix to uh, to have a conversation with her about um, the situation with Cassian. Pretty brutal stuff. Pretty chilling stuff. Laura, thoughts on Deidre Miro's storyline as we saw her in essence, kind of grow in power on Ferrix and really flex her muscles about her wanting to find who it is that is behind all this stuff going on and all this equipment being stolen in the re- for the rebellion. You know, I, we, I was with you guys for the first five episodes of this show, and I mm. think the last time I left off with you, we were all kind of hoping for good things not really but kind of for Deidre I mean like she just is working with all these people who are such assholes that you couldn't help but kind of want her to succeed in some ways even though we know we shouldn't want her to succeed and I am just not there anymore I mean I I feel like when we were talking you know about the trailers early on before the show ever premiered it was kind of like oh is maybe she going to be someone that they turn and I'm like oh my god no Jesus that is not happening by any stretch of the imagination because yeah she's 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 really kind of getting up there with some of our i think our our other evil empire isb people that we hated from the start i'm just like all right well now she's just with them so we can't cheer for her anymore um and i never cheered for cyril in the first place and i'm not entirely thrilled to have him back but it is interesting the way their sort of priorities are now starting to line up. He wants to find Cassian for his own reasons. She wants to find Cassian for his own, her own reasons. And I think they've, they're going to eventually come to a common ground, even though it does kind of seem like she dismissed him and they're probably going to go their separate ways. I think eventually it's going to occur to her that they do have some common ground that he could actually prove useful um, in the hunt for for cassie and uh and or but there's um i think all the stuff with 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 cyril in particular was sort of interesting just because Mm -hmm. like seeing his workspace like the cubicle that he's in was giving a lot of like apple tv's severance it was sort of (laughs) even like his computer like the way like it sort of looked like a game almost was reminding me a lot of that so the production design in this episode overall was really fantastic but getting to see some of these these new places uh particularly in the empire and isb and the bureau of standards it, it was just interesting to see yeah, um, Shannon, uh, we see Deidre also tell Cyril, like, hey, no more false reports or it ain't going to be me you're talking to. Because Cyril also, just like um, uh, Deidre does in the meeting with the IS, that kind of guy who seems like above part of us in the ISB, she pushes past the line. Cyril pushes past the line as well, twice, getting her to walk back into the room twice. And that second time is when she says to him, enough already. Or I'm, are you going to talk to somebody else? And then he smiles, which is a really odd smile. So you talk to me. What do you think about the Deidre progression here, and especially what she pulls at the end when she leaves? Is it Pac or talk with the guy? What's the guy's name? That owns the it's the it's with a P. It's Pac yeah, or Pac. Yeah. Pac. yeah. yeah. Leaves him, she leaves him in the room purposely after the guard's like, should I take him out? She's like, no, 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 leave him. And then when Bix walks in, 
She tells the guard, what are you doing? Get this guy out of here just to intimidate her. So what do you think about how she's running things here? Are you with Laura? Like she is turning into one of the more evil members of the Empire. Oh, she is a delicious villain. I mean, she has an Alan Rickman-like snarl Ooh, that nice. is so, so fantastic to see. I mean, I really like, I mean, I really like Cyril. I mean, he's a fun, he's a really fun character. And like the moment that those two Imperial officers come up, you see that kind of, oh shit, I've, uh, <laughs> I've gone too far. And then just watching their, watching their interactions, how, you can tell Cyril is a he's very he's intelligent like mm-hmm. he, he's he's got a backbone made of marzipan but I mean he's he's a, he's a smart guy and when when she's kind of you know throwing these questions at him he's he's able to hit him back I mean the whole thing she's like you know you you accused him of this you accused him of this you accused him of this I like enough and he's you see he's got he does have uh he has a weird sort of conviction. I think when it comes down to it, physically, could he do it? No. I mean, we watched him crumble in, in, in episode three, but now it's like his pride is hurt as well. Like, yeah. he's like a dog with a bone. Like, he wants he wants Cassian bad. And you can see Deidre, at least in that, in that one moment, is like, okay, he has some useful information. And that moment that she's walking out and he stands up and says, I was a good deputy inspector. You know, I found I solved a murder in in two days. I found these guys um, in my head. All I'm hearing is like, I am a big boy. I am a big boy. I know. <laughs> these are big I tie boy I, I tie my own shoes. I put I pick out my clothes. I am a big boy. <laughs> but then watching uh, uh, Deidre get to get to Ferrix and like I thought I thought that was interesting as well, John, when she was uh, uh, being like, nah, you know, leave him here. And then to see how he was a prop uh, yeah. to be like, this is what this is what can happen to you if you do not cooperate. Mm-hmm. I think I think Deidre Miro is just a fantastic villain. I mean, again, I really I, I sense a lot of Krennic with her um, there. She and Krennic and director Krennic, I think, have a lot of similarities. I really hate how much I'm loving her because <laughs> yeah. Denise Goff is doing such a fantastic job acting her. Her face is Michael like. In another actor's thing, it would be cheesy, but she's making that grimace and that like scoff and that biting of the. She's making it all work so well because you believe that that's an organic reaction to the character she's constructed here. What do you think about the Deidre Miro storyline in this episode and how it's progressed and how her power seems to be growing yeah. in the ISB uh, with Partagas's uh, help? Well, I think two. I think a couple things. One, I I think Shannon is uh, is undervaluing our boy Cyril. Like, say what you will about Cyril, but most people under that gaze that Deidre has would not continually right be like, let me tell you something else. And he kept like he is so proud that like like he's got there's some iron in there somewhere. Um, I also did. I had to laugh like Deidre and Cyril in a room together remind me of Thor and Star-Lord in Infinity War when Star-Lord is like, I am not mocking you. Are you mocking me? Because it is two people who are like, let me tell you something about the Empire. Let me tell you something about the Empire. I found him in two days. Well, I am part of the ISB. And they are just like, you're like, oh shit. These, this is an immovable object and an unstoppable force. And I don't know how this is gonna go. Um, so I thought that was great. A uh, bit of Star Wars nerdery. Yeah, that please. guy that you're talking about that's running the ISB mm. is Colonel, Colonel Yularen, formerly Admiral Yularen, a.k.a. the guy that's in almost every Clone Wars episode going, oh, Anakin Skywalker, what are you getting us into now? Oh, um, my God. That's not the only, He already has not, white hair. Yeah. So all through the Clone Wars was the uh, was the admiral that was kind of just like going around trying to keep those ships afloat while Anakin was doing all manner of Anakinness. Wow. Then uh, clearly becomes um, becomes the colonel and runs the ISB. And not only that, yeah. he's in A New Hope. He's sitting around that table with with uh, with Mon, with Grand Moff Tarkin and everybody. In a new hope. So wow. this guy, who is kind of like the we don't really know who he is. If you're a Star Wars nerd, there you go. There's your Star Wars nerdery for the day. <laughs> um, to to Laura's point about the turn on, like we really liked Deidre and then we didn't. This is this is just really great writing. 
Deidre, well, we were on her side as long as she was the underdog. Right. And in last week's episode, she got the one up on Blevin, and we were like, yeah, Blevin down, Deidre did it. And this year we were like, oh, shit, nope, okay, wait, no, this was bad. Because Deidre is relentless. You think yeah. about Blevin, like, wandering around on Ferex, being like, hey, do you want the hotel? That'll be nice. All right, I got to go. I got some shit to do. Cocktails at five. She comes in and is just, like, all over everybody. And to your point, and we'll get to it when we talk about it, Proves that Luthen and Clea were clearly right because she yeah. is so hot on this trail that when Bix goes and does, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk it. I'm gonna try and reach out to Luthen because I'm really worried about Cassian's mom. That shit gets shut down so fast. Yeah, yeah. Like she's relentless. And so she is now no longer the underdog. So we have now shifted from, yay, we're on Team Deidre to, oh shit, Deidre's fucking horrible, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I've seen some people complain that, oh, that once again, you're showing a woman being better than everybody else. This is life <laughs> in whatever job you work. There's that one person who does that extra bit and, and really kind of moves quickly through the ranks because they do all the extra work. They stay late. They they study this stuff. I mean, remember a couple episodes ago, her and her sister are hanging out and he's, she's like, go to bed. He's like, no, I'm staying here with you until... We got to, you know, so you, you got that. And so I just don't understand the complaints on Deidre. She's fantastic at what she does. And it's obvious. It's not obvious that everyone else is incompetent. It's just obvious that she's figured something out and she's pursuing it doggedly like she would normally would in any other situation. So I just, I, I love seeing the progression and the growth yeah. of that character in this story. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's take a quick break and we'll jump into some Mon, Mon Mothma stuff and a little bit of Luthan stuff right after this. That's good. That's good. I like that. It's very good. Mon Mothma, let's deal with it. She, uh, her, and Perrin are, are are hanging out before their evening event. She is trying to woo senators to curtail the empire. Uh, then Takeoma walks in, uh, and Perrin's history at the academy is brought up. So little by little, we're getting some background on Perrin. We hear uh, they talk about the new legislation, how Perrin is against the rebels. Um, Tay talks with one Mothma about the new regulations, making it tough on her banking moves. Then Lita walks in. Let me tell you something who I don't trust in this whole fucking show. It's that daughter of hers. I have no trust for her. That daughter is up <laughs> to some she, right? she is up yeah. to something. She, she's sketchy. look on her face, right? I mean, it feels like she's being sent in to get some information here. Uh, then Dow walks in and Mon Mothma has a chat. She's discussing to a bunch of senators. We see a senator defending Palpatine. Where have I heard these words before, Mike? Is he frustrating, too easily provoked, perhaps overreactive, but he says what he means. Where have I heard that before? The senator who was <laughs> defending Palpatine defends the new rules because if you're doing nothing wrong, then what do you have to fear? Where the hell have I heard that before? Anyway, she walks up to Perrin later and the guests and we hear about their marriage, how they were married at 15, how she became became a senator at 16 she asked parent about tay but tay has left so she goes to look for him and uh with luthan let's jump into the luthan situation he is gets that call from bix and uh Clea is there and Clea tells him do not respond because Clea is listening to it do not respond don't go for it you're slipping you're slipping and uh um luthan counters that he isn't slipping tells her to shut it down after she says tell me to shut it down she shuts it down, and then Luthen goes and meets uh, Saul Guerrera, and they have a conversation about An Anton Krieger and this discussion about uh, that um, uh, Luthen has things to sell uh, uh, Saul, but Saul mm. has to take this meeting. Saul doesn't want to take the meeting. Then has this whole explosion about the separatists and about these other people, and that he is the only one with clarity of purpose. And Luthen calls him out saying, well, it's easy to say you love anarchy when you're living in a cave. And that puts Saul back, in, and Saul's like, you know what? No sale, man. Good luck with the rest of your shit. Get the hell out of my cave. Michael, thoughts on the Mon Mothma storyline here and Luthen leading us to Saul Guerrera. Please take it away. Watching this this week, I had a thought, and I, I'm assuming you guys will all agree with me. I think if we were all really in the Rebellion, we would all have our roles. Some of us would be Cassian Andors. Some of us would be, you think about, what would you be good at? And I was watching this, and I'm like, oh. Okay, I'd be a Mon Mothma. Like, I, I want to be a Cassian Andor, <laughs> but I wouldn't be. Like, I think we all know that I would be the one having a party, trying to get people to give money and, like, pretending to be one thing when I'm another. Like, that, that, and I think hopefully I would look as good in a dress. I don't know. But, hey. uh, but uh, no, I thought, I thought the Mon Mothma scene was great for a couple reasons. One, look, I think 
what, what's happening with Cassian and w when you see all those prisoners, that's a very clear indication of how bad the Empire is. Mm -hmm. And because so many people are getting arrested under the new um, restrictions of Pord, you can see how the Empire is really affecting just like the average person. But with the Mon Mothma scene, you see how Pord is also affecting the super rich to a right. degree. Like Mon Mothma is having a bitch of a time getting that money around because of these new restrictions. And yes, John, I wrote down the exact same quote you did when they were all talking about Palpatine. I was like, well, this sounds like everything my parents say when we get into political arguments on the phone. So I, that was very, that was very, very clear what that was all about. He says um, what he means. Yeah. I'm wondering if Mon Mothma's daughter is off joining the rebellion. Like I, I was really. Like, well, I was like, she's being super shady and like, obviously something's going on with her. Obviously she's doing something. She's always asking to be excused. She's always been going to, but I was like, what's the worst case scenario? Like if she's doing bad things for the empire, like she lives on Coruscant, that's kind of like a typical Tuesday. But like, if she, like how tragic would it be if Mon Mothma is trying to like start this rebellion and then her daughter gets imprisoned or killed or something for yeah. doing the exact like i don't know like i don't know if that's what it is but i was like watching it it's she's so clearly like spotlighting shady in these moments that i was like so what what is where does this go like what's actually happening and like everything with her and perrin is very interesting yeah perrin is giving her some looks he does not trust what is going on in his own house and i don't know where he's gonna go with it but you can sort of see how when we finally do catch up with Mon Mothma, whether that be Rebels or Return of the Jedi or wherever, why she doesn't have a family with her because this thing is falling apart and it is falling apart fast. Yeah. Um, Luthen's really interesting and Clea's really interesting, kind of kind of what we were saying, like all the argument and the back and forth we had last week, like Clea wasn't, Clea wasn't wrong. Uh, and so no. watching her sort of shut it down and be the really hard ass about it, I thought was really interesting. And then Luthen going to see Saw was great. Like as soon as he landed on that planet and we saw um, Benthic, uh, my yeah. favorite alien from Rogue yeah. One standing there, I was like, my man. And I was like, all right, here we go. Here's Saw Gerrera. Uh, I think like, I, we I, we all of our friends kind of make fun of Forrest Whitaker and Rogue One a little bit. You know, it's like, oh, <laughs> I do not. I love Rogue One. Oh, the dream. But like, I think what he did here was like, he gave a Star Wars speech for the ages. I thought yes. that, um, and I thought it was really, as much as that, that comment that that person made at Mon Mothma's party was very reminiscent of like modern day things that we hear. Yeah. Um, when we talk about what's wrong with our country or what's wrong with this, and you get those people that are like, just burn it down. I don't wanna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna meet these people halfway. I'm not gonna meet these people halfway. I'm a true believer in this. Like that's what saw, like you see why Saw Gerrera couldn't make, he was never going to make the rebellion work. And you see why someone like no. Mon Mothma ultimately does. Yeah. Because even a rebel alliance against the super evil empire is a coalition of people that don't all agree with each other. So Saw Gerrera, because he was part of the Republic, there was no way he was ever even going to talk to someone who was a former separatist. Yeah. And the whole speech he gives is like, I'm not going to talk to these people. I'm not going to talk to these people. I'm not going to talk to these people. I'm 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 the only one with clarity. And then when he kind of looks at Luthen and he's like, what are you? And Luthen yeah. says he's a coward. Great moment. But he also says, I'm a coward. But he says, because I think the Empire is so big. Like, he's also kind of saying, like, there's no way... Like this is the this is what is really interesting. And again, we say this like every week, but by the time we get to a new hope, the Rebel Alliance is an alliance. Mm -hmm. And so watching it in these early stages when it is absolutely not an alliance at all, and everyone is just sort of like feeling around in the dark, just trying to figure out anything you can do against this monolith. Um, and I think that's where this show is gonna really continue to grow in an interesting way is that as Cassian becomes more and more involved in the era in the rebel uh in the in the early versions of the rebel alliance we're also going to see it start to become an alliance and yeah. I think that's really fascinating agreed yeah Laura I mean uh you know Tay leaves that party parent says he left early do you trust that he left early the parent have him arrest what is the situation got questions there and then Luthen and Saw going back and forth here Michael brings up an excellent point he asks him, who are you? Maybe you're trying. Uh, he's in business with Luthen, but he doesn't really know Luthen. So he's kind of grilling him a little bit. And they go back and forth about this idea. And he mentions that Anto Krieger, who is an ox, I think he calls him. Uh, he says he's a separatist. Maya pays a Neo Republican, the Gorman Front, human cultists, galaxy partitionists. He says they are all lost. Um, so so it's so much to consume here. All the stuff he's just throwing out casually 
what are your thoughts on what happened here with Mon Mothma and what's what's going on with the movement of their of his of her family, and then what happened here between Luthen and Saul? Well, with Mon Mothma, there's certainly some there's some pretty intense tension, honestly, between Baron and Tay. Um, I I really like this relationship though between like Mon Mothma and Tay. Tay, we don't actually know fully what it was, but the way she just like brightens up when he walks in a room and the way she like seems to genuinely like actually smile and talk to him. Cause we see her when she's not genuinely smiling wow. and it's very obvious when she walks away and that just kind of slowly fades off her face when she's not actually looking at someone, but the way that she just sort of lights up when she's talking to him, I'm like, Oh, there may have been like something romantic here. And I mean, his comment charity begins at home Oof. at parents back. If looks could kill, that look that Perry gives him <laughs> when he turns around, like, oh, just daggers. And it's so good. Um, but, you know, these these scenes with these politicians, I love getting to see, like, the Chandralin embassy. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be the Mon Mothma on this story like Vogel is, but I'm certainly going to be at this party because gorgeous and the oh, worms and the you're drinks you're invited you're invited yeah. <laughs> i want to i'm gonna take your worm and my drink well i'm just gonna <laughs> use yours like i i would try that i'm not gonna lie um but these politicians sort of standing around debating and some are defending the emperor and some of them aren't i mean the sen- one of the senators i think says like if you're not doing anything wrong yeah. then you have nothing to hide i feel like that's the equivalent the star wars equivalent of like people saying that if you stop resisting arrest and you won't get beaten by police, it's just like, there's all these like real world implications happening in these short little conversations that we're getting in this party. And I really enjoyed honestly watching it. Um, With the stuff with Saw I mean, this is, we've gotten so many different iterations of Saw and Star Wars. I mean, Rogue One obviously is the big one. We got Clone Wars. We even get a little bit of him in Rebels. And by the time we get to him in Rebels, he's pretty extreme at that point too. He's not quite as like ripped apart physically as he is in Rogue One. And we're even, you know, farther out from that in here. He actually looks like fairly healthy and put together. And mentally he sort of seems to not have like, gone completely mad yet which is sort of how it sort of strikes you and i think in rogue one but i think you know luthan wanting to pull them all together and he tells them none of us can make a success Mm -hmm. happen on our own like whoever this like anto character is i imagine he's going to come into play in the next episode or in the the finale whenever we get there but saw being so set and determined that he works alone and Luthen's great line about, you know, we need to make the Empire angry. We need them to come down hard because oppression breeds rebellion. And I think that mm-hmm. rings true because we're only going to see the rebellion. We're five years out and we're only going to see the rebellion grow in a more intense way the closer we get to A New Hope from here. Yeah, yep. sure. I love seeing him. Um, he's so strong in this role, so good in in the back and forth here. He's just he brings such a weight because he's, you know, he's an Oscar winning actor, ladies and gentlemen, he brings yeah. such weight to this character. And yes, in rogue one, he's at the tail end of it. You know, he's mad. He's got a breathing apparatus. He's got all the scars <laughs> and the, from the war. So, you know, he's going to talk a little weird, you know, he's, he's going to talk really a little weird. So, but it is interesting how, like, you know, when you did see Rogue One, especially if you didn't ever watch Clone Wars, mm-hmm. I know I'm doing, I know I'm saying something. Else, <laughs> just, 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 real quick, just real quick, just real quick, just real quick. I'm just saying. Well, no, but I do think it's interesting that, like, you know, when if you didn't watch Clone Wars, you saw this guy in Rogue One, and you're like, who is this guy? And he's falling apart, and I don't really get it. And if you did know Clone Wars, you only knew him as a young guy. And then what they've done in Rebels, and now what they're doing here, like, if you go back and you watch it chronologically his Rogue One moment is going to make a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah, good point. By the way, you two can hang out at your party. I'm going to be hanging out in my cave. Uh, Shannon, your thoughts here on the Mon Mothma situation at the party and then all, with her with her family and then Saw and Luthen here. What more can you, what more light can you shed on these interactions? Well, I think the the situation with uh, Mon Mothma's daughter, with Lita, um, mm-hmm could be similar to what we talked about last week with Tay, that at some point Mon Mothma might come to a point that she has to roll over on one of these people to preserve the rebellion, Um, which I think, you know, would be absolutely heartbreaking if she, you know, she has to sacrifice her friend. She has to sacrifice her daughter. Um, The, the whole thing about them with the, the, the squigs, 
Yeah. in their drinks how how it seems like maybe like these are obviously live creatures and uh mon mothma was just like yeah i i, I grew out of this like <laughs> i'm i'm good <laughs> and uh Perrin's i was like, in mexico i'll take hers i mean look to me Perrin, <laughs> he is just he is a kept man that enjoys you know enjoys living the high life Be, being you know the uh the the first gentleman to to the senator over here like he he doesn't want anything to upset his comfort like i'm yeah. cool we we worked hard and now let's let's reap the benefits i mean i also think it's interesting coming off of house of the dragon how the chandrillans marry very young yeah. <laughs> and it seems yeah. like it's probably an arranged marriage yeah um Everything with the senators was great. Getting over to um, Luthen and uh, Saw, like, again, some really, really great writing here. You see this sort of intellectual chess match that's happening. How Luthen is is basically saying, was it you? Was it you? I mean, yeah, the whole thing, the how they're trying, yeah. they're, you know, he, like, they're, they're trying to figure out who actually did this, where Luthen is just like, yeah, this was me, but this is the part I have to play to yeah. keep, you know, to keep the fog. Um, the great line that Saw says, where he says, Luthen, aren't you tired of hiding in the shadows? And Luthen firing back, aren't you tired of fighting people who agree with you? I mean, there's so many great lines of dialogue here. I mean, the writing across the board is just so good. So good. I mean, he's like, he's an ox. He's slow. He's stupid. He's strong. Like, Luthen looks at what, who, who has who has their best qualities let's use their best qualities is this guy the smartest no he's not but he's really really strong if we pair him with you who's super smart you guys could do something really really great together i mean it's just so it's so fascinating to watch this come together and also like because tales of the jedi came out at the same time you do get more of that mythic star wars the fact that we're getting so many different facets of the galaxy far far away it's very uh very satisfying as a viewer yeah, it's a great point you bring up. Here's Mon Mothma trying to line stuff up at the Senate level. Here's Luthen trying to line stuff up on the ground level to try to work it on both both sides to try to get at the uh, Empire and hit it where it hurts as much as they can. So, yeah, really fascinating to see them both work mm-hmm. through that. And, yeah, that opening, as you said, Shannon, so perfect. Each of them not giving anything away. And then even Luthen with the ultimate combo. Well, it, it's genius if it was yours. And gladly, I mean, it must have been yours if it was this good. So <laughs> just genius to kind of play that way to his ego. Uh, we're going to take one last break and get into the stuff on Ferrix uh, real quick. We're right back right after this. Do, 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 do. Mm. Oh, <laughs> my my voice is a little is a little throttled right now. No I apologize. Worries, no worries. <laughs> Couldn't go up uh, into the higher register. All right, so we go to Ferrix. Bix is helping Marva. She looks older. Oh my god, I, I got emotional watching this. She looks older. Her knee is in pain. She's had to be carried back. Her breathing is worse. Brasso walks in. We hear that he was. We hear that she was trying to see if the tunnel under the hotel was open so she could help the rebels come through and they could attack the Empire from that. Uh, area we hear about the daughters of Ferrix, which made me think of the daughters of the American Revolution for some reason. Bix asks him if he knows where Cassian is. We see, and then we see Vel in a coffee shop with Cinta. They are watching Bra- the Brasso and Bix. Cinta says there is a room to rent. Vel is not happy that Cinta wants to separate again and is hurt that she'd be willing to not be together. Vel asks her who she'd pose as, and Cinta takes a shot at Vel and says, Oh, I'll just be a rich girl running away from her family. Ooh, Vel responds in a way that makes it seem like that's her story. Cinta reminds her that that the that she told Vel at the beginning that the struggle would always come first. Cinta says she's a mirror to Vel, and that's the only reason she loves her because um, she sees what she needs to see in her. We see Bix talking to Pac, as we mentioned. She goes in the back, tries to send a message to Luthen to tell them uh, to get to, if you know where Andor is, send him back to Ferrix because his his, his uh, mother is dying, or adopted mother is dying, um, and uh, wa- and uh, we see the clay stuff. So. Um, oh, we cut that. We see. Uh, am I? Is that everything? Okay. Okay. We see. Um, uh, Bix sees that Pac is being detained a, a little bit later as his son rails against it. Uh, to me, this reminded me a lot. If you know the history of Chile and Pinochet, that song they dance alone that Sting sang from Nothing Like the Sun, that is based on the fact that uh, these uh, the the Pinochet dictatorship would take fathers in the night, would kill them. Uh, and these women would be without their husbands, these children without their fathers. So seeing the sun rail against this when we heard that Pac has not been uh, uh, seen since he was taken the night before. So that kind of stuff came to me really, really powerfully. We hear that Bix gets called out and she starts to run. Um, she eventually is captured. And as I, as we said, she is brought back in front of Deidre and all, Deidre and all that happens there with uh, uh, in the room. So 
a uh, lot of stuff on Ferrix here, uh, Laura, um, happening, but certainly the main thing is that Marva is getting older, still trying to help the Rebels, and Bix may have just given away more than she intended by trying to communicate with Luthen. What are your thoughts on this? I'm in the same boat where I was really feeling for Marva uh, through these entire scenes. This is real. I, I sort of had wondered how much more of the of these Ferrix scenes that we're going to get and how we're going to sort of see everything sort of implode um over the course of these last few episodes but this uh this was really heart-wrenching uh the only sort of comfort i have is that it, i really do love seeing this sort of sense of community that we have on ferrix and we've got brasso and bix sort of hovering over marva and trying to see that she's being taken care of and keeping the heat on and everything uh we keep we hear more of the metal clanging as the as the imperials are moving through oh, yeah. the town the next morning before they arrest bix we can hear all of that that happening still um Daughters of Ferrix, that's one of those, I would love a book. I, give me a Star Wars novel on that. I would love to hear more about that and Marva's time in it, and that's all. That's all you got? Okay, all right, good to go. Uh, Shannon, thoughts on stuff that happened on uh, on Ferrix here? Well, I mean, based off of the interaction between Vel and Senta, I think your theory way back at the beginning, John, that Vel is Luthen's daughter, I think it is starting, it, I, I, I think you're right. I 100% that, like, no, I mean, because well, she says clear. she's running away from her family. How could she run away from her family? She's working for uh, Luther. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I, 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 I think I think there's validity to okay. it. But I mean, I also like that we get a, get a, a a peek into their relationship. How Vel would probably take off. And be Vel like, is more in love with Cinta than Cinta is in love with Vel. Absolutely. Yeah, Cinta's more in love with the cause than she yes. is with Vel. Um, and you just it's it's just a really interesting dichotomy uh, that uh, Vel is 100% like, hey, you know, there's a there's a place for rents, you know, and Senta's like, no, that would look too weird. Da, 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 da. Um, and basically, they're they're hanging out to kill Cassie. Yeah. I mean, that's that's ultimately what it is. Yeah. I mean, and what Laura said about that sense of community on Ferrex. I mean, that's the thing that I think, you know, that that will bring that will bring the rebellion together. I mean, the whole thing with Brasso, <laughs> I don't know if you all watch Only Murders in the Building, but yeah. Steve Martin's character played a character named Brazos. So every time I see... Every, every time. Because I, I watch everything with the subtitles on. Every time I see Brasso, I just see Steve Martin walking <laughs> around in the corner. <laughs> the moment that Bix gets called out and she takes off from, mm. those, from the Imperials and the Stormtroopers, and just that Brasso, he's your, he's your big friend i mean the way that he sort of absent-mindedly gets in gets in their way and puts his hand like oh sorry 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 um you can tell this is something that they have done they have done before yeah. um so it's just really really nice to see and yes everything with marva the the fact that bix and brasso were like oh yeah she thinks she's a rebel um it's just so it's just so heartbreaking because you see her visually aging every week and yeah. more than likely Cassian is not going to get to say goodbye to her. Like that's yeah. my, that's my guess. Yeah. I think that's going to be another brick in that wall that he is building to fight the empire. I mean, the, we haven't seen anything from the manifesto yet. And I wonder how that's going to come into play. I wonder how her death's going to come into play. Uh, Mike thoughts on everything that happened here on Ferrix and, and what we got from all these characters here yeah, uh, I mean, and I the moving guys, pieces. Yeah. I think you guys are, I mean, I think you guys are nailing it as far. Well, first I think Cinta, I'm glad I'm not in love with Cinta. That's a hard <laughs> relationship. Uh, and yeah, that was a dig. I mean, when she, I mean, but also from a writing standpoint, what a great way to get pertinent information about a character in there. To not go, by the way, rem rem remind everybody how you are a rich person who ran away from home, like using it as an insult and like it just sort of being a part of things. Like it's just, it was very good exposition. Um, which I really appreciated. I thought Can I really add something brilliant. to that real quick? Mark? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that reminds me of how some of the people who were involved in these uh, peace movements or these rebellion movements in the 60s and 70s, you saw like Patty Hearst, you saw those rich daughters yeah. come in to try to be a part of it. And I think that was a little bit of a subtle kind of connective tissue there. Yeah, the absolutely. Real world stuff. Yeah. Um, with Ferrix, I think what we're seeing, I mean, look, I think you guys nailed it in. What is What they're doing really nicely about Ferrix is that Ferrix does have this sense of community. Everybody does look out for each other. Everybody is everybody's family member, everybody's friend. That's why they all bang all the, all the metal. Like, they're all warning each other. So I'm pretty sure we're gearing up for Ferrix to go fucking ape shit on the Empire. Uh, and I think Marva, I, I hope Marva has that one big speech in her. Like, the, like to go from, ugh, she thinks she's in the rebellion. 
I'm waiting for Marva, who I do feel like is getting older and older each episode, to give that we're all the rebellion speech and then have everybody rise up against the Empire. Because I think that's what we're that's what we're getting to. And I think they've they've established these characters, even what Shannon was saying about uh Brazo. Like I think that like it's like just the these are the people that are gonna get in the way of a stormtrooper for you. These are the way these are the people that are gonna bang on that metal. These are the people that are going to risk their lives and reach out to their rebellion contact to be like, Cassian's mom is sick. Like they are so family oriented and the Empire is squeezing them so hard that I think they are going to be the uh, illustration for us of what happens when you squeeze too hard on people um, and they're not going to take it anymore. And I really, really hope that we get to see that. Me too. Me too. Well, let's swing, swing back to you again, Michael. Final thoughts on uh, this episode and where we're going real quick. Um, like, like I said, like this, em- this whole episode was Empire sucks so hard. Like, and it was great. Um, and, and knowing that the way that they said, like episode seven was kind of its own thing. And now like eight, nine, and 10 are kind of the next arc. It definitely had that ending that like the first episode did where like their, their first episodes in their little three episode arcs tend to have these endings that you're like, uh, okay, okay, we're done. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Wait till next week. Um, so it definitely had that feeling to it, but I think it's gonna, it's gearing us up and setting the stage and kind of like what Laura said, finally moving a lot of the characters that were previously in their own separate stories putting them all together and so seeing where this goes i think is going to be really really exciting agreed uh laura final thoughts and and what you think is coming here um i couldn't say what's to come i honestly (laughs) need to go back and rewatch all of these episodes the last couple of them i've only watched through one time because i knew i didn't have to do reviews so (laughs) i I do i think i did hear something about how the last two are going to be sort of a two-part finale and i'm very much looking forward to getting to that um i I think that also last week was episode seven was supposed to be sort of a weird one-off from the way they sort of described it i thought it all flowed very nicely so i'm just happy to be enjoying the show more than i did with episodes one through three understood uh shannon final thoughts and what you think uh, might be happening i mean toby haynes is directing the next two episodes so the guy who who directed the first three is directing these three as well Mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean i assume like we have to have some sort of prison break uh but at this point like even though we've seen some tools that they have on the table like i really don't know how you bust out of that facility so i mean the thing that the show is doing great is surprising us so uh yeah I mean, you throw I mean, you throw a lot of other prisoners down on that floor and electrocute them and you can run on top of them because that's how you win the floor <laughs> of lava yeah yeah you, you are not mon mothma <laughs> no <laughs> I think we've got enough collateral damage, haven't we? So, yeah. But, no, you know, I agree a thousand percent, as I've said. I'm loving the show. I'm loving the intrigue. I love the political stuff. This is my Star Wars. This is my kind of Star Wars, and it speaks my language. And I know it may not be everybody's, and I totally respect that. But for me, it really does move me. And the fact that it's making these political connections to our real-world lives, all of it really works for me. And making commentaries about these things as well. And not not hitting you over the head. It's just there if you want to catch it. And I appreciate the, the uh, talent that it takes to bring that out for sure. And I love that, as you said, Michael, all the pieces, they're coming now to intersect a little bit more. And over these next two episodes, we're going to see how they really intersect and who's going to survive out of these next three episodes. And who's, because I mean, the Vel Sinta thing, I mean, Vel was taken off. So Sinta's still there. Sinta's a ruthless, clearly ruthless person for Sinta. the cause. So Sinta gonna, Sinta gonna rile. She's gonna, she's gonna switch gears. She's gonna be like, you know what? Cassian Smashian, I'm gonna rile these people up. Let's take down the Empire. Like Cinta's gonna lead those guys. I'm telling maybe, you right now. Maybe Marva's the one that changes their mind. We shall see. That's for sure. That could be interesting as well. So so much to explore, so much to see. Thank you all so much for joining us for this uh spoiler review of Andor episode eight. We appreciate it madly. Shannon, what do we have to tell? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK Tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca says. Uh, Mikey? Um, if you like political intrigue, worms in your drinks, and the floor is lava, this is the show for you. And here's what you can do for us. Uh, smash that like button below. Subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page. Leave your comments below. Let us know what you thought of this episode and where you think this next three-episode arc of Andor is going. If you are listening to us on a podcast, uh, definitely leave us some comments. Leave us some stars. Helps us go up in the rankings so more people can find us. And as always, the best thing that you can do that we would really appreciate is retweet this video, post it to your socials, send it to your friends 
friends and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. There we go. And uh, Laura Kelly, uh, please, uh, thank you again for joining us. Please let people know where they can find you. Sure. So this week I joined Sal Perales from the Rogue Rebels to discuss the final arc of the High Republic Phase 1 comics. So we had a lot of fun on that discussion. You can check that out. You can find me on Twitter at shutup underscore Laura. And you can find me and John talking about Star Wars right here on his channel on the Jedi Way. And lastly, you can follow the audio podcast that I do with my friend Alice. It's called Force Toast, a Star Wars happy hour. Find that on all major podcast platforms. There you go. And uh, one programming note, we will all be live because I'm dropping this at 8 in the morning on Friday morning. We will all be live at 3 p.m. PT uh, on the Outlaw Nation channel later on today. We'll be doing the Geek Buddies initially from three to four, and then from four to five, we'll be doing a review of Tales of the Jedi. So come and join us live from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. PT on this same channel a little bit later on today. It's All right, the y'all. Mega Buddies. Have you come to talk about me? Anyway, all right, we're out of here. Love you madly. We'll talk to you next time on a brand new spoiler review episode here from The. Geek Buddies and Laura Kelly. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.